0: Very different ideas for me. I think the exact words they used was hell no. Um, (laughs) And since they were paying for much of my education at the time, I I think...
1: Hello and welcome to episode 123 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the value As You're probably wondering, does the world need another Ebbing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Trusker, I'm no rock star but i picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from techie to CMO and trusted advisor and each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums and share with you some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday the 15th of July 2022. It's really heating up here. Thanks for joining us. Hope you've had a good week. You are well safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. On this week's episode, Cathy McKnight returns as Jeff continues his vacation. I chat with Kurt Gendon, co-founder of growth marketing agency True Voice. And I wind down the week in the L CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to paint the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll
2: be right back. we'll be right back.
1: You may know you're listening to this
0: show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy
1: to our first segment with Jeff Away, I'm joined by my chum Kathy McKnight, the chief solver of problems at the Content Advisory, and she asks Should we be breaking up with our websites? Welcome back, Kathy, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you.
1: Jolly nice to have you back, uh, replacing Jeff for the second week in a row, which is fabulous.
2: Thank you very much. Oh, happy to be here.
1: Um, What we decided to do uh, last week, if if people didn't listen to the show, is you gave two great presentations at Content Tech, which was a few weeks ago now. Uh, One of those was seven things to consider in building a bedrock for long-term digital success, which we covered last week. Which, if people didn't listen, I'd recommend they go back to to that because that was excellent. Uh, And then this week. We're going to talk about breaking up with your website content with your website. Let me try that again. Breaking up with your website content modeling and governance for amazing customer experience. So aside from the fact that I can't read,
2: <laughs> so, it is a bit of a I,
1: when 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 I saw that this is what you were talking about, I love it. I mean, I'm a long time, as you know. Twenty odd years in the web content management business, so when I see the words "breaking up with your website," that's probably why I couldn't finish the rest of the sentence. It's like, oh, what! <laughs> so, what do you mean by breaking up with your website, Kathy?
2: Well, you were not alone. Um, people <laughs> are—they saw that and panicked. Um, it was—it was, it was <laughs> good actually. We had—we had quite good attendance at the workshop, so that was nice. Yeah. Um, so, when we talk about breaking up with your website, I'm not suggesting for a minute that everybody just—you know turn off their, their website and, you know, shut down their URL, URLs and, and move on to, to social or other channels, so to speak. It's more about, you know, how you push content out to the various um, channels, including the web. So it is, it's shifting the thought pattern from I'm going to build a website, I'm going to build a web page, to what is the content that our audiences need, want from us? let's build that content and then let's deliver that content in whatever way shape or form through whichever channel at whatever time is most appropriate and suitable for them where we're meeting their needs so it's no longer about okay let's get this web page up let's you know have the information architecture you know the about us and here's what we do and here's who here's who we are it's it's very much more organic whether it's single-page application, whether it's multi-page application, whatever it is, um, it's, it's shifting our thinking from let's build a website to let's build great content.
1: Right, right, okay. So, I mean, that's quite a shift, isn't it, for a lot of organizations to start thinking about that because I know I've been through several, one or two <laughs> web content projects and um, website redesigns. And what I've found, especially more recently, is it becomes like a lightning rod for the organisation to get their content shit together, basically, right? Correct. So... Um, this is an extension of that, isn't it? Is that we then get our content shit together, but without thinking of it as a content as a as a website um, pr- project, right?
2: Right. We have to think a little bit about the evolution of content. So, you know, pre nineteen nineties, with the with the birth of digital and web, you had things like events and TV and telephone and display. It was radio. It was it was pretty simple and contained. So you and you almost had to think about okay, here's the TV placement, here's a radio ad, here's a print ad. Then you start moving into an expansion of that in through the 90s. And then the 2000s hit and it's all digital, right? You've got landing Mm -hmm. pages and microsites and videos and, you know, different delivery mechanisms like webinars and affiliate marketing. And if you were to just create the pieces, which many companies still do for all of those individual things, it becomes this onerous task and you end up with this Big pile of no offense to anybody, crap content that you can't <laughs> reuse. It's a one-off, yeah. so yeah. hardly worth the investment, right? You're not, you know, yeah. it's not everyone's going to be the dunk in the dark impact kind of right. um, piece. Yeah. And then the the channels have just proliferated, and where people are, and how they want content, and when they're looking for content. So by stepping back and thinking about the content first, the message, mm-hmm. the story, the experience outside of the channel, then we start being able to be more nimble and agile and deliver it as the audiences want.
1: Right. And so it sounds like as well, is there's another step back from that, which is what does the audience need? Precisely. And then then how am I going to deliver that on what channel? Not I need to create a website because everybody else is doing it. Precisely. Right, right. So where do you
2: start with something like that? So you start with a shift in thought process. So rather than jumping to, we need a website, we need a white paper, we need a webinar, we need an infographic, continue to insert all of the multitude. I think I came up with with almost 60 different types (laughs) of content, um, like assets. We need to think about content from a content component perspective. So right. we need an interview with a subject matter expert. We need research on X. We need photographs of Y. And so yeah. what are those content components, those baseline pieces that will then be able to be cut up, mixed, melded in order to deliver in whatever format that audiences right. need when they need them? So it's not, we're not creating you know this long form white paper which then Mm -hmm. other parts of the organization who go oh that's a great quote i want to use that or there's a great image or a diagram in there and they're literally taking screenshots or whatnot Mm -hmm. of pdfs and repurposing you know if we start with the content component then they're able Mm -hmm. to access that data i mean and that's a whole other conversation we can have about your what you need from a martech stack Mm -hmm. to enable this process um but really boiling it back down to those, the the ABCs, the pieces that you're going to use to build everything else.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a great point you make about PDF. I mean, people don't realize that a PDF is a channel. It's, a, it's where your content gets locked in uh, and that where is the source of that? How did we start with that? So this is like taking a kind of content, I mean, didn't we used to call this content first strategy? And th- isn't this more about, let's figure out what it is that we want to say, how we want to, and and who we're going to address, and then start creating the content around that. Is that what we're talking about? So where you mentioned there, we need a white paper, we need photographs, we need this, is we start with that?
2: So no, you don't start with the end product. You start with the story. Right. So in the the previous iterations of content first, that's Mm -hmm. what we did. We were still jumping to the asset. Right. And what I'm talking about is, you know, think about writing a book or building a webinar or all of those things, all of the work that goes in prior to that. So the research that you do, the, the quotes that you gather, the, the images that you take, pick, you know, you snap up, the drawings that you make, those are all the content components mm-hmm. that you need to, to create and build, almost like a bill of materials for the story you want to tell. And then you take those bill of materials and you can mix and match them like a recipe and, you know, build what you need to build with all of those multitude of raw assets.
1: Right, right. And so that's the content modeling part of that title we were just talking about, content modeling and governance. And from a content modeling perspective, is is that dependent on the kind of organisation I I'm in? So if I'm a B two B CMO, let's imagine, <laughs> um, am I looking at that from a product perspective? This is the package I need to launch a product, or this is the you know what is what what what's that sort of content model of?
2: It it totally can be. So we look at it mm-hmm. as a two phase approach. So you have your content yeah. components, but also from an organisational standpoint, and you you bring up a perfect example is that if you're in a organization, let's say a a product um, organization Mm -hmm. where you do new product releases, you know, five times a year, six times a year, maybe across different regions or through different brands. And you know, with each of those releases, there's maybe three tiers. There's a local product that's only going to be sold, let's say in Canada. There's another product that maybe is going to go out North American wide. And then there's another one that's going to be a global launch. So you have three levels of of information and content you're going to need. So those mm-hmm. become story packages where right. it's a rinse and repeat. We know for a let's say tier 1 product, we're going to oh. need three blog pro- posts, two interviews, 14 photos, 20 social posts. Yeah. So that story package then gives you the baseline of okay, to fill that package, we then yeah. need these content components and you know exactly right. what to build. So it, it's exactly, as I said, a, a bill of materials then mm. becomes um, predetermined. And you can, you can vacillate from there. It doesn't have to be cast in stone. You maybe you decide mm. to do two blog posts and you, know, you really wanna push mm. on social, so you do 30 posts. And then the next tier up would require, would be more. And then the top one again, more pieces again, but people understand and are able to prepare, okay, we know, we may not know exactly what the product is going to look like, and we may not have all of the details, but we know in, you know, January, June and November, we're going to have a global product release. So they can start building that they can start preparing. And even if it's just resource planning, they understand that. So the more definition you can have around the content you're creating, the better prepared you are, and that gets into right. supportive governance, resource management, budgeting—you name it. Yeah,
1: yeah. So on that, so also on that content modeling, I like this idea of story packages because I'm because it's easier, I think, to think about this stuff as a product launch, and I think as product companies, B two B specifically, we're really good about talking about our products and features and functions and all that kind of stuff. But could a content package also be? Uh, sorry, a story package also be? that we want to be perceived as the most secure solution in the market or something like that, something more, um, you know, a thought leadership topic that maybe we want to talk about.
2: Yeah. So again, you know, with the, from a story package process, it starts with the theme or initiative. So what is it that we want to talk about because our customers or audiences want to talk about it, right? It's not about, this is what we want to tell everybody. And if it aligns, (laughs) great. If it doesn't, don't waste your time, right? So you (laughs) have your major theme or initiative, you know, product launch, whatever it is, then you have maybe subcategories of that. So one of the examples that I often use is sustainability. So your main Mm -hmm. theme could be sustainability, which a lot of organizations are talking about. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. your sub theme to that could be measuring impact or Mm -hmm. uh, corporate social responsibility. So there's two. Now, be able to deliver the story on that you may have two or three story packages that talk mm-hmm. to one or both of those so that then defines the number of pieces of content you're mm-hmm. going to need final assets you're going to need mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and understanding the packages you then are able to service the sustainability so those three story packages we need this set of content components so you're gonna mm-hmm do, let's say, a subject matter expert interview, but you're not just interviewing yeah. them about measurable impact, you're also me- interviewing at the same time gathering the points that you need for the co- corporate social right. uh, responsibility, as well as the overall topic of sustainability. So you only right. have to talk to that person once, but you're mm-hmm. now able to fulfill three buckets of story packages. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for like photo shoots and B-roll and audio and transcripts and research and all of those things. So if you think about it from a a stacking block, you have one stacking block of theme. Mm. You might have a couple sub themes on top of that, but then you get into the story packages and the components and it just, it's so much more efficient.
1: Yeah. And it's great for the creative, isn't it? Because there's one brief, like... Okay, so I need this bunch of images. I need them to look a bit like this. They're going to cover five of my topics, but that's one photo shoot or one, um, you know, one creative creating whatever they do in the magic they do in Photoshop (laughs) And, and all that kind of stuff. And same for the writers, right? So from a from a blogging perspective, because we all know that the initial idea is the hardest. Yes. Knocking out another four blog posts about the same thing is probably quite easy because two thirds of the time is research. That is a completely made up step, by the way. I don't know how much is research, <laughs> but it feels to me when I'm writing. I think it's about that. It works out about that way. So that's the content modeling part. And it sounds like we can apply that to a lot of what we do in terms of content marketing, taking products to market. Now, it wouldn't be Kathy without a reference to governance. So how, how important is governance in this process?
2: So it's really important. So when you think about a, a governance process for this mm-hmm. is... You know, we have so many parts of the organization that contribute to content or should. Mm -hmm. Um, Content really, and audience experience um, and engagement really is a cross organization function. So, nobody, we talk about, we've been, Ian, you and I have been talking about breaking down silos (laughs) for 20 years. Um, I personally don't think the silos are going anywhere. People like their sandboxes, they like to understand. The, you know the parameters in which they're responsible and and whatnot, and I th- I think those are good things. You know roles and responsibilities mm, right. and things like races are really important, but when it comes to content engagement and planning, that's where we can pull together all the different parts of the org that could be impacted. So comms, marketing, R and D, creative, um, customer success team, sales, operations. You know all of those things, and pull mm. them together from a governance perspective in a content planning committee or advisory board where once a month you know here's the content calendar here's what we're working on mm-hmm. and so the different parts of the organization go oh you know what we were thinking about talking about that this fall yeah. can you ask these three questions or yeah, yeah, we already yeah. have something on the go for that which shouldn't happen because yeah. you want to have a centralized content calendar yeah, that yeah. captures all of that but it's yeah. an opportunity to bring people together to contribute and get aligned and start telling the same story. There's so many times where we go in and, you know, we'll take a look as part of our engagement to, to take a, a, a qualitative as, uh, audit of people's content, organization's content. And we'll see that, you know, this part of the organization is talking about sustainability and this part of the organization is talking about, you know, velocity and this part of the, the, the um, organization is talking about something else. And then you go back Mm. two months and they're swapped. You know, they're they're all talking about the same thing, but at different times and in different ways. And starting from scratch. And starting from scratch, right? (laughs) So that's a question that we ask because it's like, okay, if you think about your content that you create, how much Mm -hmm. of it is net new and it is we have yet to have somebody come in at under like 95%, which is just mind boggling. We had one client actually say to us, if one more person, it was an insurance company. If one more person asks me to write a piece on, um, on DUI, (laughs) I'm going to lose my mind because we have 47 of them already. And quite literally there were 47 piece, like, come on. Right. So, Yeah. Stop the insanity.
1: <laughs> well, well, some of that as a little sidebar is, um, and I've mentioned this before on the show, is that we're obsessed with content youth, aren't we, as marketers, right? If it, if it didn't get published two days ago, then it's obviously out of date, right? And I think that's
2: fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, that, you know yeah. what, this also, the other element of this is, is by breaking it down into the content component and not the asset, mm. you're actually able to measure the impact, influence, and success of the content, not the asset, because you're able to do the metrics on the different pieces of the content that has made up the asset.
1: Yeah. I also think like once, you know, back to the content modeling thing, where you were talking about case studies and quotes, I don't understand how anybody can do a case study without knowing what it is that they want the customer not to say, but what it is important to them that they can get across mm-hmm. that other customers are going to be interested in. If you don't have a script or a narrative or some idea about what's key to that, plus why that isn't being plugged into the other messaging that you're doing across the business and how that's not supporting that, that those kinds of things come out if you take this approach, right? Yes, absolutely yes yes so and and then so yeah we've gone back to content modeling so back to the governance thing so re, what what do you include in governance so obviously there's an approval process and all that kind of stuff but what what else do you put under the bucket of of governance when you're taking this kind of approach
2: so i think looking at it from a process right so mm. rethinking and following a content creation for lack of a better word process where Mm. there's ideation across the org Mm -hmm. where it's Mm -hmm. not just me or you sitting at our desk going okay google well yeah what (laughs) what are we gonna what are we gonna talk about tomorrow right what are we gonna talk about today um so the ideation be able to test your ideas pressure test and discover which of them which of the potential mm-hmm. topics, ideas really resonate and echo across the org? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's completely appropriate to be, to be myopic in your focus and it's a topic that a mm-hmm. subset is going to be interested in. That is okay. There does not have to be consensus every single time. But mm-hmm. you do need to be able to share that. So the ideation process and making that more of a collective as opposed to uh, somebody go off in the corner and, and come up with something. In the yeah. planning, understand what it takes To get that information across. What are Mm -hmm. the best methods? What's worked? So going back to your data and your metrics, engaging the C pros, creative pros, professionals in our, whether they're in our organization, Mm -hmm. whether they are contractors or within agencies are Mm -hmm. often the last ones to get pulled into stuff. And that is absolutely the worst way, right? You need to bring them into the beginning because they'll be able to tell you What's hip and cool and what's moving forward? So you yeah. may have loved something. You saw something last week. Well, you know what? Somebody produced that three months ago. And now there's this yeah. brand new thing. So let's get edgy. Mm. Let's let's move forward and, and yeah. try something different. Metrics again, you know, you may love that infographic, but you and your brother are the only two people who looked at it. And the only reason <laughs> he looked at it is because you sent him the link, right? Yeah. In yeah. creating the components, again, who is involved in that? Mm -hmm. who do you who needs to review it is there legal is there regulatory um do you have to go through some other kind of operational assessment um where's the information coming from so where's the parent information is it in your content management system is it in your PIM? is it in your dam so understanding Mm -hmm. where that information is going to reside the editing process again from a governance standpoint that racy model who's responsible, who's accountable, who's going to be consultant and who's going to be informed, right? Mm-hmm. And keep to that because we see so many organizations getting slowed down, bogged down by, yeah. oh, well, our VP likes to look at everything before it goes out. Yeah, yeah well, you know what? Your <laughs> VP is an engineer and couldn't put, a, couldn't put a cohesive paragraph together if you paid them because that's not, that's not what they do. So great. Uh,
1: we have no experience with that kind no, of None whatsoever. Talk. And I'm not
2: picking on engineers. I know a lot of rooms for smart, creative engineers. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I'm thinking of somebody very specific yeah. in that example. <laughs> <thoughts. laughs>
2: um, but it's okay to inform them, yeah. right? And let them yeah. feel that they're, and, and make them a mm-hmm. part of the process, but they can't mm-hmm. be the gate, right? Yes. So understanding who Absolutely. the gates should be and then how is mm-hmm. it going to be structured, right? Mm-hmm. Having that vision from, how are you going to take all those raw pieces those that that ingredients and are you yeah. baking a you know a loaf of bread are you making cookies are you doing brownies mm. like What's the final output going to look like?
1: Right, um, right. But it's in, the important part. There is, is we're thinking about that at the end rather than at the beginning, which which I think takes us to the.
2: It's the really hard of our
1: conversation.
2: People really it. struggle with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, I mean, I love the title of the presentation. Break, starting off with breaking up with your website. You know, that's exactly what we're talking about there. So that's excellent. All right, Cathy, Well, we're um, out of time. Thank you very much for uh, standing in for Jeff. Well, I mean, you're welcome on the show anytime. Yeah. Well, thank you. It. I don't need to invent a holiday for Jeff and have him bundled into the back of a car or anything like that. I mean, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> Genuinely on holiday. Um, so um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Kathy?
2: Um, I am um, on Twitter, at Kathy with a C McKnight, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, LinkedIn, obviously, I'm the only one. So it's Kathy McKnight again. Um, Sweet. Uh, TCA, our website is contentadvisory.net and we have a ton of writing and thoughts on this obviously Mm -hmm. um, that you can find there and as well um, I've got a newly launched podcast called Mm -hmm. unchartedjourneys.net where I would love people to come and listen and if anybody has a suggestion for a someone to interview please drop me a note and let me know.
1: It's a a wonderful it's a wonderful podcast and I'm always recommending podcasts on my own. I know I I love it find the time to listen to all these things so that's <laughs> excellent thank you very much kathy and the final order of business as you know from our format is i need a song or what am i going to play out with on this one yeah
2: so this one was tough because i had a bunch there was um you know i hate myself for loving you joan jet and the black hearts <laughs> because you know people want to change but they just you know they just they're so comfortable <laughs> with their website and the asset production uh-huh. and i'm like, no. That's not right. That's um,
1: <laughs> you know, perfect
2: to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was with or without you by you two, because uh-huh. you know yeah. what? The world is moving forward in this way, whether you join us or not. Um, yeah. But I think I've got to go with, um, there's always something there to remind me. So it keeps you anchored in where we've been, but moving yes. forward.
1: Okay. So um, There's always
2: something there to remind me naked eyes
1: by Naked Eyes. I'll be playing out with that. That's perfect. Thank you very much, Kathy, You're And welcome. I look forward to speaking to you soon, both uh, personally and on the podcast. Thank you. So enjoy the rest of your day and
2: uh, see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Ian.
1: Cheers, Cathy. Bye-bye. I
2: walk along the city streets you used to walk along.
1: Thank you, Kathy, And that was a version of the Burt-Baccarat classic, Always Something There to Remind Me by Naked Eyes from 1983. Always a pleasure to chat with Cathy. And if you want more of Kathy, I'll include all her links in the show notes. On to our guest, Kurt Jenden is the co-founder and managing partner of the full funnel growth marketing firm True Voice, translating the true voice of their customers into a meaningful, targeted full funnel marketing strategy that transforms marketing into an engine for growth. Part marketer, part data scientist, and part digital anthropologist, Kurt is a seasoned executive with more than three decades of analytical, technical, and management expertise. Prior to co-founding True Voice, Kurt served in executive planning roles at several global agencies, including Omnicon, Interpublic Group, and Edelman. A fascinating chat. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. Kurt, how are you? Good. How are you doing today, Ian? I'm doing great, nice to have you on the show. Thank um, you. But for people that uh, don't know you, Kurt, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure, uh, my name's Kurt Jenden, I'm the co-founder and managing partner of True Voice Growth Marketing. In my role, I really work with C-level executives and marketing leaders to help them translate the true voice of their most important customers and stakeholders into meaningful, targeted, full funnel growth marketing strategy, and I'll tell you a little more about what that all mm-hmm. means. Um, but really designed to increase demand, drive acquisition, improve retention, and and measurable revenue. All, all the things that all of us marketers strive for <laughs> each and every day. Um, from a personal perspective, I'm a husband and father. I'm an avid traveler. I'm a, a cultural anthropology geek. Uh, I'm a swimmer, and not to make uh, any enemies of your UK listeners, but I'm also a Gunners <laughs> fan. So we can talk about that in another episode, as I'm sure we can fill the full spot with with my arsenal um, perspectives.
1: Well, I wish you'd told me that before I press record, because I'm a Chelsea fan. Oh so. well, I, I have a feeling that would probably be the case. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, um, and you're in a lovely part of the world as well that I know very well, having lived there. You're in, you're calling you're talking to us from Connecticut, which is which is wonderful. And I believe that we are both having a beautiful day today. Absolutely. By the way. One of the things, two of the things we're obsessed with on this podcast is the weather and lists. I know we're going to get to a list in a minute with you. Um, so um, tell us a bit about True Voice. What, are, what kind of uh, organizations do you normally work with?
0: Well, we're actually, you know, we are are really designed to help highly regulated industries, including mm-hmm. financial services, healthcare, insurance, and our, our job with them is really to help them find, nurture, and convert. They're hard to reach mm-hmm. and high value customers and stakeholders at every part of the sales funnel and in every part of the journey. And what's really special about True Voice uh, that we'll talk a lot about today is our revolutionary access to real-time data sets of more than 160 million individuals. And what that does is it provides company with really a holy grail in an increasingly cookie-less world of Mm -hmm. ownable first-party real-time customer data and an understanding of customer behavior that really previously was just unattainable. And and we'll talk a bit more about how we leverage that access powered by our AI and, and proprietary machine learning to, to identify a company's best prospects, who they are, what they aspire to achieve, and, and what success looks like for, for them, um, to engineer scalable and replicable cross-channel experiences that really transform marketing into a a, a growth uh, center. Uh, I'm sorry, a, an engine for growth uh, within the organization.
1: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a big watchword here on, on the podcast. Is we talk about marketing's role in in growth, and uh, and I like that. I mean, true voice is the perfect name, isn't it? You've got that. You've got that insight, and and again, another hot topic is an insight into the customers oh, well, and what you can it's, provide. It's what so.
0: drives everything, right?
1: yeah absolutely so a little bit about you um uh, in in my research and in, in our discussions i noticed that you started your you had your earlier career in big agency so what inspired you to come into the marketing industry
0: well you know it's a little bit of a backstory, right like many mm-hmm. you know in our industry i didn't grow up saying i really want to be a marketer um, <laughs> yeah. in fact i was an aspiring cultural anthropologist at university um, however my parents had very different ideas for me i think the exact words they used was hell no Um, And since they were paying for much of my education at the time, I I shifted my attention to marketing as a way to combine my interest and and love for behavior um, Mm -hmm. while hopefully still being able to feed myself. And so what drew me to agencies is the same thing that ultimately compelled me to start True Voice, which was my desire for innovation. At the time, large agencies were the hub of innovation, um, especially during the exciting early days of the internet and social media, and I'm probably dating myself, but that's yeah. that's the realities of, of <laughs> age, sad. right? <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah.
0: But for me, you know, with the, the rise of the digital consumer, if you will, the most exciting opportunity was around the access of the huge amounts of data, Publicly available unsolicited behavioral data that we could use to not only understand consumers but influence better more responsive marketing and so I I started building systems to capture and translate this data for planning purposes but you know, these were the early days, and I experienced a lot of resistance from creative departments that believed data mm-hmm. had simply gotten in the way of their creative process. And mm-hmm. so they were only interested in the data that supported the ideas they had already come up <laughs> with. Um, and that, that was a real challenge. And and so as as most agencies at that time were driven by their creative departments, it became clear that if I wanted to innovate the way marketing is done and the way we understand customers, I need to do it on my own, and and that's how True Voice was born. Um, now agencies have come a long way, and they certainly understand the importance of data now. But it was a it was yeah. a very interesting time, but it it, it provided really a, a 360 view on on the importance of customer and and all the the marketing uh, uh, arrows in our quiver, if you will.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, how long ago did you start True Voice?
0: A True Voice is fifteen years old. So we were wow. way ahead of our time, yeah, yeah. Um, to be yeah. honest. It, you know, probably, probably yeah. a, a bit too much. But it's all <laughs> intersected now, where uh, everything we've been doing for fifteen years is the, is on, the, you know, the mm. top of everyone's uh, uh, thoughts.
1: Yeah, it's an absolutely fascinating topic. I love it. And it's funny, when you were saying about how creatives like data when it supports their point of view, I once heard an expression, I don't know where it comes from, but I heard it on Prof G's podcast, Mm -hmm. Professor Galloway's um, podcast, and he said that some people use uh, insight like a drunk uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. That's right. That just sticks with me. Whenever I hear somebody make a similar point to you, I'm like, and I always always give the attribution that it's from Prof G, but I don't know where it's really from.
0: We always talk about it as program-based evidence versus evidence-based programming. Right? Yes, yes, and that's yeah, that's yeah. a big difference in in, in just a few yeah. words.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just earlier, you mentioned um, you, you mentioned the term full funnel marketing, and I've obviously read that um, doing my research and looking at what you guys do. Um, and at this point, I have to make a joke that we all love full a full <laughs> funnel, right? But I know that's not what you mean. Tell us what you mean by full funnel marketing.
0: Of course, simply put, full funnel marketing means creating scalable demand and nurturing models that can mm-hmm. effectively transform marketing into an engine of growth. Uh, and what right. that means is you know, by providing untapped access to customers and prospects at every single stage of the sales funnel and every mm-hmm. part of the customer journey, we're enabling rapid transformation of data into precise messaging and content that fills the sales pipeline and accelerates lead to revenue conversion. And then the concept of full funnel marketing isn't really new, right? But it's become so much more relevant than ever before, especially at larger companies now, as a result of a lot of different internal and external issues that, that really are facing every marketer uh, uh, across every industry. I mean, externally, COVID's changed everything, um, yeah. right? And the seismic shifts that have happened in customer behavior couple, coupled with the acceleration of digital adoption it really mm-hmm. demands a new, evolved approach to marketing. And this demand mm-hmm. has really been further compounded with the increasing internal pressures on marketing leaders to shift from being a cost center to an engine right. for for revenue, right? right? So, yeah, you yeah. know, in fact, uh, I, I read a recent study by McKenzie that, that really summed it up, which is 83% of CEOs are looking to marketing as a growth engine for the business. However, only about 20% of CMOs feel like they're actually prepared to right. deliver on
1: that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's been the challenge, hasn't it, for the CMO role and why you're seeing the growth of chief growth officers and CROs uh, picking up marketing because, you know, we're not perceived as being that part of the growth engine, right? We're the um, rainbows and, and crayons that's and, right. and colouring and in department, right? Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, I, I have a similar ethos because I always I always think that marketing needs to create art, awareness, revenue and trust, right? Yep. And the most important one of those is revenue. But if I change the acronym, that would be RAT. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That, that, that Nobody know. wants to create rat, well. right? so, <laughs> so I was talking about that. Um, and also, um, I understand that the way that you approach this, if you've got, you've got these five pillars of growth, marketing, success – and as I mentioned at the beginning, we love a list here on Rockstar CMO. So what's your five pillars for, for growth?
0: Absolutely. They're, they're, they're You know, honestly, in a lot of ways, they're common sense, but how you go about it is quite difficult. Right? Mm-hmm. The first is yeah. steeped in audience and owning your audience. And, and the reason being is we believe growth requires customer centricity and, and real customer centricity requires a deep connected view of the customer supported by real time integrated insights. So what do mm-hmm. I mean by this? Well, I'll give you just a somewhat simplified example, but I think it's effective as a, as a way to communicate. So if I take a mm-hmm. a customer persona, if you will, male, mm-hmm. 74 years old, married twice, raised in the UK, a high net mm-hmm. worth individual, even lives mm-hmm. in a castle, right? That is that, that, <laughs> yeah. great information to target. However, yeah. I've just described both Prince Charles and Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> who won't fit those so so I can guarantee you that they don't share the same desires, the needs, or the behaviors no. and and this yeah. is why personas must evolve, and marketers must mm-hmm. strive to better understand customers on a behavioral level and yeah. and that that's really again so important by by starting to level, layer in the billions of of points of live behavioral metadata that are available to marketers along with what they already know um we're we're able to empower unified real-time views of behavior at every stage of an evolving customer journey. And and this is the core of funnel management and really the catalyst for growth.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I I think all this um, demographic, a lot of this stuff is bullshit, isn't it? Millennials behave in a certain way Mm -hmm. or somebody over a certain age behaves a certain way. It's their it's as you say it's their behavior and values that's actually going to make up that persona much better or their needs isn't it than that so so your first is know your audience which is excellent and i love the way that you've already said this is common sense right? right but you're absolutely right i mean so many personas are just created on a whiteboard in a in a conference room at a hotel right rather than tested against the data so what's your second one
0: the second one is around aligning your operating models and and mm-hmm. you know marketers are experiencing a change all around them you know, and they, but they, a lot of them remain really hesitant to, to restructure their operating models to meet the challenges of the digital marketplace. And right. this is most obvious with the continued silos that exist even today between sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And while the answer isn't a simple one, it's, it's, it's unique yeah. to every organization. Marketers have to anchor the, the change discussion in that customer journey and, and okay. putting the customer at the center it's an audience first framework that not only validates internal assumptions, but it also helps to build enterprise wide consensus around the nice. targeted customers and, and their journeys. And right. and with consensus and a shared objective of growth, uh-huh. it becomes much easier for organi- organizations to, to frame the alignment discussion around a common set of outcomes that marketing and sales wants to achieve along the, the funnel cycle. Yeah. So, For most organizations, this means reimagining the the marketing and sales funnel as a revenue cycle. And the cycle integrates marketing and sales initiatives throughout the entire process. Um, Ultimately, strong sales and marketing alignment needs to leverage that long-term vision and and data-focused methods Uh of marketers to support their short-term quotas as well as the business problem-solving approaches of, of their salespeople.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like that. I had a I had a guest on the show that once talked about the way that marketing are looking to the future, and the and the and the sales guys are looking to the present. Right, yeah. is that we that's the way that we need to work together. But and I'm also incre- increasingly hearing about. How these operating models and metrics and stuff need to align with sales and with your customers. I mean, this is like one of those things that everybody talks about. But are you still seeing that gap? Then
0: we are, and, and yeah, you know, yeah. it exists in different ways and different varieties. But at the end of the day, yeah. the customer doesn't care what your your silos look yeah, like. Yeah. Their journey yeah. walks right through marketing to yeah. sales to ultimately customer service so, and retention. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. they don't care what what everyone's different objectives are. And that's why when right. we, we unify those objectives around growth and the customer, mm-hmm. now everyone has the same North Star, right? Is, is, yeah. And it changes yeah. the way we look at it. And it's creating very collaborative environments that, that really have people focused on working together rather than on, on short term goals
1: yeah and and so what and that leads i mean I, I already know what your five are but that leads to your third one doesn't it which is perfect so your third one is well
0: it's it's measuring across that funnel yeah. just as we were yeah. saying is is yeah. marketing and sales campaigns today are spread across so many different channels. It mm-hmm. creates a really fragment fragmented modern customer journey that's anything but straightforward. So a potential yeah. customer may view a, a Facebook post and then watch a LinkedIn video, click a Google cool. ad, or sign up for a newsletter and offer or even scroll Mm -hmm. through thought leadership content. But that all happens before they actually even become a qualified prospect. And, and that's just one example of hundreds and thousands of different journeys that are taking place every day. So in a multi-touch full funnel attribution model, Each touch point across that sales cycle gets assigned an equal value, giving marketers a holistic high level look at the performance of their digital marketing mix. And it's a complex undertaking, but it's it's one that's achievable um, and provides an entire organization with an end to end visibility of the sales pipeline so that they can accelerate and close deals faster and with less investment than previously possible. And at True Voice, we've seen this approach create billions of dollars in value for our clients.
1: Right, right. And I, I, I think I could probably have a, have you on the show just to discuss this point. I think it's yeah. so important, isn't it? That measurement across the funnel. And and don't get us started on, it. Yeah. <laughs> on attribution, right? Yeah, right? I mean, we're all obsessed with attribution. And so many people are working from first touch or last touch. That's and amazing. then they make a decision about their mar- their marketing strategy based on that and they find they're losing out across the board aren't they because it's every everything works rather than one thing sometimes. That's right so- so yeah, yeah. So I like that. So so we so we know our audience. We're aligning in our operating model. We're now measuring across the funnel. So what's the next step?
0: The next one is adopting a test and learn approach. My my clients, oh, nice. my staff, even my son will tell you. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> sayings is: fail fast, fail small, and, and fail as many times as you need to get the learnings to, to, to hit it out of the park. And no yeah. one has all the answers. But there's one thing we do know for sure: is that the best performance and growth marketing comes from innovation. And innovation comes from testing something new, analyzing that information, and changing the course to respond to the results. Um, mm-hmm. So today, amidst the, the increasing uncertainty, modern marketers must really approach their test and learn philosophy more broadly and take it beyond conventional testing of just campaign creative and messaging. They must yeah. really begin to think, rethink operating norms and, and operating models to pivot you know, to become these growth engines that we talk about and, and view test and learn approach as a way to build organizational muscle memory, to truly build a full funnel growth marketing capability.
1: Right, right. And so this is agility within the organization. I mean that with a small a rather than agile, but you know, we talk about agile a lot. Yep. Um. And, and is that, has that been a hard, is that, because that's a cultural shift sometimes with some organizations, isn't it? They, they're doing the things they've always done because they've always kind of got some success from them. So do you find that part of it more challenging that sort of cultural and process change oh
0: yes absolutely i mean so much of what we do and it's actually our fifth point is around change management because no one ever got fired for performing the, uh, with the safe tactics, right? It, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but now if, if we're not innovating, if we're not moving forward, we're, we're dying on the vine. And so, mm-hmm. so much of what we do has a change management component to it to help mm-hmm. people understand and recognize that even though they may not be in crisis today, that if we're not changing and adapting the way we work, that, that tomorrow is going to be a very tough uh, situation for, for mm-hmm. most of us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so so we we know our audience, and I always like to recap. Know our audience, we align our operating model, we measure across the funnel, we ad- adapt. We adopt this test and learn approach, and we have to then manage change within the organizations. Out of those five, where do you think is the biggest gap when you're talking to to your clients? What's the biggest challenge do you think they face?
0: You know, that's a really interesting question. I mean, different organizations are different. Yeah, I I could point to owning your audience because everyone thinks they know their audience, (laughs) Um, and, and it's amazing that the jaws that drop around the table when we show them what we know um Uh about their audience and what that looks Uh like but i think you know if i was to think about it each one has their own struggles but Mm
2: -hmm. you know that
0: there is something in the change management and and helping companies change the way they think and and being able all of it ties into that right as we're talking Mm -hmm. about change so a test and learn approach really helps to build business cases as to why changes matters and what it can do for the organization. Knowing the customers and seeing how that works requires a change of the way everyone thinks. Um, And measurement, again, is just a way to underscore and prove that to to perpetuate change. So I I root it all in change because if if we're going to shift and help CMOs really become a, a growth center, um change is, is critical changing not only the way they work but the way they think and the way the yep. organization thinks about marketing
1: yeah yeah no i love that i love that i love those five and, and it's been and full funnel marketing the whole thing this has been a great conversation so far i'm going to get to our final question okay. because i've just seen the time uh we have a regular feature on the rockstar cmo called the rockstar cmo simple our portal to marketing hell for the overhyped trends bs and snake hole from this marketing industry we love What would you like me to chuck into our swimming pool? So many things.
0: So many (laughs) things. But I will try to keep it to one. I think, you know, and Uh it's probably more here in the U.S. than you're seeing, obviously, in in Europe. But this discussion around the death of the third-party cookie, um, Uh to me, is just so overhyped. I mean, despite all the hype, and and there has been so much here in the U.S., the impact yeah. to marketers simply is just not as significant as the industry and the media are making it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Google's announcement complete with the dates of the intimate, uh, 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 uh shifting that, that have since shifted those dates and, mm-hmm. and will probably continue to has created a sense of urgency. But the, the fact yeah. is Chrome's not the first browser to depreciate, you know, yeah, um, exactly. third party cookies. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. the reality is, is that, you know with the third party cookies going away and the loss of of identifiers that marketers used it's actually an opportunity for marketers to throw out the old playbook and and start redefining what audience understanding targeting and measurement look like in a privacy first world and so yeah, yeah. Uh, this is so much of what we deal with is is there is yeah. many different forms of data and and yeah. the fact is is by reconfiguring the, your data practices for the future marketers mm-hmm. have a great opportunity to not only continue to deliver on audience targeting needs, mm-hmm. but also help their, their clients, um, you know, substantially maintain audience data strategies and deliver personalization. So ultimately we hear so much about it and everyone's been prepping for it, but the fact is, is <laughs> long overdue and privacy concerns aren't going away. Um, yeah. we need to innovate. Yeah, no, I love
1: it. I love, I love that. Uh, I love that. Um, nomination for the pool, I think, I think we'll definitely be throwing that in. And, um, and and also, I mean, we're completely out of time, but I think there's a nuanced conversation we had about cookies as well. I mean, my, my, my dad will refuse all cookies and I'm saying, well, sometimes they're good. And sometimes there there isn't, you know, this, uh, this, um, hysteria about cookies right now. I don't think it's helpful. Well, it's an
0: education problem, right? As most people would, for a better experience, give some information, but it's never been approached that way. And because of that, Now it's 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 just considered all bad. And that's a shame for marketers, because I think there is a give and take there that that is possible. But I I think that 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 opportunity may be somewhat missed.
1: Yeah, I definitely need to have you back on the show and talk about any of these. points. That's right. Or for Arsenal, for that matter, in Chelsea. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, if uh, if folks want to uh, spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you?
0: Sure. You can find us at TrueVoiceGrowth.com mm-hmm. um, or, you, you know, and through there, you can certainly reach out to any of us with any questions or to learn more about the company.
1: Excellent. I'll include all your links in the show notes, Kurt. It's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to speaking to you again. I as well.
0: Thanks for having me today.
1: Thank you, Kurt. So much to impact there. I will definitely have Kurt back on the show and dive into some of those topics. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's Friday evening. And where better to kick off my weekend than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What do you think? Ah, uh, hello,
3: my friend, and welcome to the bar. And uh, yeah, a good long. Week And nice to, uh, nice to end it sitting here making a, well, what's going to be a fancy, fancy cocktail here. Um, yeah, we have, I have something, something a little, a little different, uh, on, on tap tonight for us. Um, so I have been, uh, a, I have been listening to 1980s music as I am wont to do mm-hmm. all week, so I am I am literally in an 80s sort of frame of mind, um, and uh, and that I mean that obviously that ages me a bit, but
1: it sounds it sounds bang on for this podcast, maybe. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's. Uh... You know, the kind of the, 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 the music I've been listening to, you know, a, a lot of Depeche mm-hmm. Mode. Um, I got mm-hmm. into it because I was listening to the Kate Bush thing, because that, of course, has become huge with the with the, yeah. uh, you know, with the Stranger, stranger Things, things. Uh, rollout. Yeah. Um, in any event, the one of the most popular drinks uh, in the 1980s, which fits the 1980s so well, was a was a cocktail called the Sex on the Beach. Do You remember this?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So that was a very nasty drink um, uh, that basically had vodka and peach schnapps, which, of course, schnapps in the 1980s was a huge thing, uh, and cranberry Mm -hmm. juice. And that was your classic Sex on the Beach cocktail. So this week for us, I have reinvented the Sex on the Beach, and I'm just calling it the uh, lovemaking on the beach um, (laughs) because it's much fancier and much prettier. Um, Uh And... uh, so for this, what you need is is a few things. One vodka, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but second uh, is so this is and this is the most important ingredient is an armagnac, uh, a, a, ah. a, a lovely armagnac brandy, um, and specifically if you can find uh, one that has more peach in it or more fruit in it, um, mm-hmm. but uh, there are plenty out there that you know that have lots of vanilla. Um, and, uh, and very nutty flavors, but that with vodka mixed with your cranberry juice, um, Mm -hmm. fresh cranberry juice, obviously, if you can find it makes, I love making on the beach and a lovely, uh, it's a, I'll put it this way. It's a bracing cocktail. It is, it's quite (laughs) strong. Um, but, Uh uh, but, but wonderful and a great way to go into the summer evening with a buzz.
1: Ah, I love the sound of that. Well, let's um, let's see if I can um, make some make some magic love here using just the ingredients of my yeah. desktop bar. So I'm going to start with the uh, with a with a with something very similar to vodka, I think. Um, I'm going to start with some Hendrix gin, ah, um, which um, is oh, hang on, I'm going to put some ice in my glass first. Right, I should do that. You can't make love without ice, can you? Don't think. Did you put ice in? Uh, yes. Definitely put ice in this. Yeah, to good. All right. I'm going <laughs> to sling some of this in here. So there we go. So what else did we put in there? You said some cranberry juice. Some cranberry juice. Yeah. hmm And Olmagnac. And I have, again, reached for uh, the wonderful people at Fevertree who make up all of my mixers. And luckily, this week, they found the most English of cranberries and they've put cucumber in here. Ah. Yes. yes, well, that's not Armagnac, but it's, it's, it, it is. it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Armagnac. Can I put just put some more gin in? Yeah, there you go.
3: So, just <laughs> add more gin, we'll, we'll substitute a, for that. That's a yes. fine
1: idea. Drop more gin. Drop. Okay, let's give this a taste. Mmm! That's delicious, Robert. I could drink one of these every week. Ah. What are we calling that?
3: Uh, well, I'm calling it a love making on the beach because it's an upgraded, fancier version of a sex on a beach.
1: Yes, and I think this definitely is. I love it. And um, dare I ask where we're going to be drinking these wonderful drinks? Well,
3: of course we have to be on a beach somewhere, don't we?
1: <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely.
3: Yeah, I think um, I think we need to be on a beach. And I think um, you know, I have a I have a, 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 a bias for my beach mm-hmm. um, life, which is Hawaii, uh, and, and yes. specifically uh, Kauai, the, the Kauai you know, that island, which is much less populated and, and much less touristy than, than, the, uh, than the other, but, um, but any Hawaiian island would do, I suppose, for, for a beach-type uh-huh. setting, and drinking one of these fancy drinks as we stick our toes in the sand and, and get out of the heat. That is where I am right now in Southern California.
1: Yeah, I love it. No, we're having a heat wave too, which is something we've got in common for a change. (laughs) So so there you go. So that sounds wonderful. And then, so we're we're drinking these drinks. We're talking about... uh, well, we're probably not talking about the name that they're made of. We don't do that. we gentlemen. Um, but we, 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 t- the conversation turns to marketing. What are we talking about this week? About
3: well, this week we're talking about the sexiest thing because, you know, we're drinking the <laughs> the sexiest thing in marketing, which is of course content audits. Um, oh yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yay. Let us do a content audit said nobody ever. Mm. Um, but it's an
1: important. Be still my beating heart yeah
3: it's it's an important thing and and the reason mm-hmm. i want to bring it up is is because it's it's something i've been thinking about lately and it, what made me think of it was there's a guy by the name of Dan Sullivan and Dan Sullivan is one of those entrepreneur in fact he's been one he's one of the original sort of og entrepreneur coaches um going back to the mid 70s and 80s um mm-hmm. speaking of 1980s And he's written a bunch of books, and and one of his books I was actually rereading. It's called The Four Cs Formula, Your Building Blocks of Growth as an Entrepreneur. Interesting, good sort of inspirational book for, for entrepreneurs. But one of the things that he talks about is he says, any new capability that we get creates confidence, right? So it creates a confidence mm-hmm. ahead of it. So if we look forward in time, we're more confident with this new capability than we were before we had that capability. He says, but it also rearranges everything behind it. In other words, it rearranges your past A new capability, not only changes your confidence about the future, it also rearranges your past. And I love that idea because what it says is that acquiring some new capability gives us new insights into how we acquired one, our existing capabilities. um, And two, it lets us kind of have new perspective on our past and let's in some ways change the past. And uh, an example of that is, is so one of the things that I think I'm relatively good at, or a skill that I've acquired Mm -hmm. over my many, you know, days and weeks and months and years (laughs) of doing consulting is that I can help people take esoteric ideas and turn them into, sort of pragmatic plans and Mm -hmm. one of the interesting thing is is that as I've sharpened that skill as I've gained that capability it's put decisions I made as a kid or as a you know as a young adult in new perspectives and so it helps me reboot my origin story in in many ways and look at my decisions in a different way well this is one of the real values that doing a content audit can provide because as we change our story, our brand story to something new or evolve it or come to some new capability as a brand or those kinds of things, looking at the content in our wake, which we created all that Mm. stuff, the thought leadership, the marketing, the blogs, the, all the things that we created in the past, there's an opportunity there not to just look at it, in the boring content audit manner of saying, oh, is it searchable? Ah, oh, is it outdated? Ah, oh, does it have the wrong logo on it? Ah, oh, does it have the wrong thing? It, we can say, is it telling the right story? Or is it telling the wrong story? Or do we want to reboot that story? And so looking at things like, you know, this outdated white paper, you know, well, how might we, it's really good, except it just makes the wrong point in the in the present tense. Well, how might we reimagine it and change that white paper into something that, Basically, fits into what we believe now, or these amazing yeah. articles that we created with some you know thought leader that has now turned into a competitor. Well, why don't we just delete those and change the fact that we never did them? And you know, <laughs> or these series of webinars that never got promoted in the right way, then why don't we re promote them or twi- twist them, change mm-hmm. them, etc., so that we they become assets for us? And so, it's mm-hmm. that changing all the content in our past can really help us reboot whatever our current story is. And I think the other side of that is, is in why this is so important is because one of the reasons we do a content audit is because, uh, you know, we want to prune what's there and, and keep yeah. ourselves sharp, you know, and relevant and, the, that's a hard thing to do, you know, when, you know, in today's digital world, it's actually easier and more cost effective in some cases to simply let stuff lie. It's actually taken yeah. to go delete it and change it and and, yeah. and and all of that. But it's a really important thing to do because a bloated, you know, a website that is too bloated with, you know, tens of thousands of assets that don't really sharply tell our story is worse Then actually spending the time to actually, you know, go just chop off that long tail and give ourselves a much a much cleaner, you know, a much cleaner message. And so that's the that's what I've been thinking about. And I just love that idea that it helps you change your past as you sort of get more confident about the future.
1: Yeah, I like that. And so you can add what you've learned to those old assets and enrich them further, right? Is that what you're saying?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. You can add, delete, change, but it's not just in a way that says, ah, the logo's wrong, or this one isn't good for SEO anymore, or this one doesn't convert at a specific level anymore, or this page hasn't been visited anymore. It's adding a new lens to your content audit to say, is it telling the story that we wanted to tell and could we do something to this content to make it tell the story we want to tell
1: yeah yeah i like that and plus um i think you were making the point the other week that sometimes we we sort of get into a rut and we narrow what we're doing whereas when you look back at some of that old content you see some of your old ideas and think actually that's got some relevance today with a little bit of a t- a, a tweak and a, and a and an update and that that can help you, can't it, in in redefining what you're talking about today?
3: It absolutely can, right? I mean, you know, being able to repurpose those things into something new or to just even just change them and leave the date the same, right?
1: Yeah. You know, change them
3: and leave leave them where they are, but change Mm -hmm. them in a way that more closely aligns with the story we're telling today makes them ever, still keeps them as evergreen assets that were produced three, four, five years ago, but also, you know we don't have to have this slavish loyalty to the things that we published four years ago, because it doesn't, you know, we don't, in other words, the, the cool thing about the web and all this content that we create digitally is that we don't have to issue a new edition of the book. We can go back and edit the old edition of the book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, Google really kind of latches on, doesn't it, to, to content sometimes. You do a search and you find an article from 2017 that appears in the second line of the, of the updates. It, it Once it likes something, it seems to keep it on the front page of the, of the search results, right? And so it's up to you to make sure that's up to date, isn't it?
3: That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah Google does like that, right? Google likes yeah. the idea of, uh, of, of updated content um mm. you know, Andy Crestadina who is at orbit media and talks a lot yeah. about this, talks a lot about the one of the main arms of his search strategy is to go in and find those articles that Google really likes that may or may yeah. not be telling the story we want to tell and updating those you know yeah you know and and it, and that creates its own implications right about how you're you know how you're creating URLs and how you date articles mm. and how you treat those things so that you don't you know, so that you append the article, you don't necessarily replace the article, um, yeah. and and there's you know there's a whole methodology to doing that. But it's it's the the, the major point is is that it's worth doing frequently so that mm. you sort of you know keep your wake as short as you possibly want it to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and as you were chatting then, I was just um, like I think it was yesterday or the day before I was on one of the major analyst firms that isn't Forrester. <laughs> and, and searching searching for digital asset management, a broad term I know um, but the results I was getting back were from like 2012 you know 2017 you know it, it had there was it was exactly to your point you were making I think a couple of weeks ago that I was being exposed to all this old outdated crap that I had to wade through in order to get to their most recent thoughts because their search engine was just serving up what was most relevant, not was not not was most relevant today. Right. So I think I think this idea of pruning content is absolutely on. We should absolutely be doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And how do you encourage your clients to go do that just by sheer force of will? (laughs) Well, yeah, it's a
3: tough thing because it's still not very sexy. Right. It's still not the kind of thing that you that that people really want to do. It's a project that people want to do as few times as they possibly can. But yeah. um, I encourage them that the idea of finding gold basically uh, yes. is, you know, can be a, a, very, uh, a, a very lucrative thing um, in yeah. terms of, you know, because we're all starved for new ideas about what we want to write about them, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, you know, looking at your content audit as a lens to say, hey, there's a lot of stuff that we've talked about even years ago that would be relevant today just through a new lens and so yes do the plumbing bits of content auditing and the you know all the things you need to do to to keep your you know your generally your nest clean but it's also a great idea generation exercise as well so that's how Mm -hmm. i've i've been trying to convince clients to look at it
1: yeah i love it and um a little bit easier over these sexy cocktails, I think. Well, indeed, <laughs>
3: indeed, there's there is that. Yeah, that it does. That does put a, a, a as they as they might say, a tint to the glasses.
1: <laughs> so, um, when you're auditing your content and curating it and making sure only the best stuff appears, where do you do that, Robert?
3: Uh, I do that on our little website called ContentAdvisory.net.
1: Splendid. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they look for you, where are they going to find you?
3: They'll find me on all the usual suspects, Twitter and LinkedIn pri- primarily. You know, I'm Robert underscore Rose on Twitter and LinkedIn. You just do a search, you'll find me.
1: Splendid. And more importantly, will I find you in the barnet? You will indeed. <laughs> That's splendid. Thank you very much, mate. Absolutely. I'll see you then. Yes. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. There you go. Grab a cocktail and start the sexy business of doing a content audit. So that's a wrap on episode 123 of the Rockstar CMO Effing marketing podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Kathy, Kurt and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello to them. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or rockstarcmo.com. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox selecting our track and jiving along with us so does the world need another effing marketing podcast please let us know on the socials or drop a rating or review in your favorite podcast app or just keep listening i'm glad you're here today. Next week, Jeff is back. Looking forward to catching up with him. I meet Joyce Young, Head of Marketing at 3D Printing Startup, Surit Technologies. And Robert will be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here on Rockstar CMO FM.